we thank you for Palm Sunday. We thank you for the times where we know that you have called for us to gather in your presence, understanding who you are. So we honor you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen again. Praise God. So today I thought I'd, I'd do some teaching on spiritual pairs. Amen. Spiritual pairs. I still paying somebody some money to get this out of here. Amen. Yeah, it's twisted and it's where it's supposed to be now. So, all right. Praise God. Is that better? Still there. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. It's a little better. So, okay, we'll go with this. So, um, I, I was thinking about how uh, oftentimes, and this is this is the way the enemy works. He will um, set in motion certain spiritual forces to help keep strongholds in our lives, help keep His kingdom alive, and keep you out of God's kingdom. Amen. When I say out of God's kingdom, I mean the blessings and benefits. Now you have a covenant with God. You still belong to him. You're saved. But what good is it doing you if you can't receive the benefits and the blessings thereof? And it, many times the enemy wants to frustrate us and even anger us and get us to walk away from even desiring uh, to serve God and be blessed by God simply out of frustration. And so I thought I'd talk about how he maneuvers and manipulates things in our lives uh, to keep us out of God's kingdom promises and keep it, keep us out of the fruit of the spirit, out of the good life, uh, the things things that God has ordained for us. One of the things that we know about Satan is the Bible says that he has been defeated. Yes. So he can never win. Yes. But if he can keep you from winning, he's done his job. He wants to take as many people down with him as he can. And he wants to keep us frustrated and angry at God and out of the promises and and uh, just not looking forward to life, looking just looking forward to more bad news, more trouble, more disappointments, more anger, more frustration, uh, more of the things that, that tend to get us tired with life. Then when when we're tired with life, we'll start to reach out for his remedy for things instead of God's remedy. So when when he gets you, he can he can work against us and keep us frustrated, upset and angry. But as long as you're going to hold on to God, you got a fighting chance. What he wants to do is disconnect you from hoping God so that he can offer you his remedy. Huh? Which is always something that, that, that we're embarrassed and ashamed of, you know, is whatever it is that, that puts you in a zone where you forget your troubles. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he's got enough nerve to phrase it so that it sounds good. You know, he'll, they call it happy hour. And those are the saddest, most forlorn people. They can't even make it home from work without a shot of alcohol. You know? And somebody just as stupid and forlorn as they are to share it with. You'll never find strong people in weak places. The bar is a place for weak people. It's not a place for strong people. 
So the enemy lures people there with the illusion of, you know, forget your troubles, huh? And, uh, uh, happy hour, unwind, huh? Well, he's the one that's been winding you up all day long, amen? So he winds you up and then gives you something to unwind with. So it becomes a vicious cycle, you know, that the enemy uses to try and keep people in bondage and keep us away from the uh, the uh, promises of God. And so I thought I'd talk about some spiritual pairs, pairs of, of spiritual forces that are so common in our thinking and so common in our living uh, that that they are strong. And if we can avoid and break free of the the uh, control of these forces, then we can step into God's kingdom and start to live the life that he wants us to live. So the first spiritual pair I want to talk about are shame and blame. Shame and blame. If you turn to Genesis chapter 3, talks about the serpent interacting with the woman and then the woman interacts with a man. When the woman, uh, I'll just start from verse 1, says, Now the serpent was more crafty, the King James says more subtle. So he's the kind of, of animal that is able, I always call it a prophetic thing because prophets can lie with a straight face and still be believed. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you kind of have to watch that when, when God calls you that way. You kind of have to watch yourself joking with people because people look at you and say well what's wrong because the spirit behind what you're saying is the spirit of truth it kind of it kind of rides in your life period you know what i'm saying whether you're joking or not or so you kind of have to watch yourself a little bit plan with people when you know especially the more you've given over to the word of god and so it, he's he's there he's subtle and it's kind of hard when when people are subtle it's kind of hard to discern if what they're telling is a joke, not a joke, whatever, whatever. And so it, the woman said to the servant, he said, uh, did God really say? <laughs> See, when people ask you if something is really something, they're questioning. So they're putting you on the defensive. So all of a sudden, God's, she's gotten her instructions from God, but all of a sudden now she's got to defend her position to him. Now be careful with people who want you to defend your position all the time because that is a subtle trick of the enemy to get you to doubt what you believe. See, the truth, truth really verifies itself. There's a witness to truth all the time. So when you tell the truth, like Jesus said, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. Anything else comes from the wicked one. So if you have to convince somebody and keep talking over and over and telling it and telling it and telling it and you can't rest until you get them on your side. Now come on folks, we do this stuff all the time. Don't don't sit up there and just hold your breath like I'm talking to the Y over across the street. Huh? If we feel we're doubted, then we got to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. Why? Because we want to be right. We want to be, there's something in our pride that makes us want to be believed. 
And if we're ever doubted, we got to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying until we prove ourselves to people who cause us to doubt. Hmm? So anyway, he's standing there, he's talking to this the the serpent. Now, at one point, he was on four legs. The Bible refers to him as cattle. So at this time, he was cattle standing on four legs. And she said, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees of the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You won't die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat it, you're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. Now this is the the truth element to what he's saying. Because he so strongly feels that he can be like God, it's easy for him to convince somebody else. See, things we feel strongly about, we have strong arguments to support them, and we can easily convince other people to think like us, no matter how crazy it is. If you don't believe it, turn on the news, mainstream media news any day. Those people firmly believe that our president works for Russia. And every day they get on there and keep trying to convince other people and convince other people and convince other people. You got me? So it's very easy if you are the type of person who strongly, how do you think dictators get control of whole nations of people? How do you think Islam gets as many people as they get? Those people firmly believe that what they're, they're believing a lie. Truth can come in and bring them out of it, but until that happens, look at all the trouble they cause with the lies they believe. And it's the same thing with the devil. He told himself when he was in heaven, I will ascend to the throne. I will make myself higher than God. And what does he do? He tells the same lie because he still believes it. Even though he was demoted, fell like lightning from heaven, he still believes it. That's how he can convince people to do his bidding for him down here on earth because he is a big convincer. Anytime he convinces you, uh, your kids, that they can rebel against their parents, you don't have to do what your parents tell you. You can come over and live at my house and we can, you, you understand what I'm saying? There's always a kid in the neighborhood that lives in a house with no rules and they want your Christian kids to come over and, cause you can do what we do over here. See, I got a place with no rules where you can come and stay. And so when the enemy finds a weakness, he finds a place where he can get in and start to promote his you're bigger than God idea. And that's the one that gets everybody in trouble. You're bigger than God. God won't do that to you. You can get away with it. It'll never happen when he can convince people along those lines. Huh? But he's got you. So he's able to find an opening in her mind to put that idea in there where she can challenge God based on the thought that she's got something to gain. 
There's always a payoff in there for you. He said that if if you do this, if you eat of that tree, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, that was that was partly true because there is a part of the Godhead that knows good and evil, and that's Jesus. Amen. Because he was pierced, he was wounded, so he had a personal knowledge of what it felt like to be the subject of evil powers, but he overcame them. So there's a lot of truth in what he's telling her. And it's a knowledge when when truth comes in, you don't have to know that fact, but you have a witness inside of you that can tell you whether it's true or not. We all have that, especially when you're born again. When you when you get saved, you can hear scripture you've never heard before. And something tells you that is God. Now, you didn't read that. It's news to you. But somehow there's a knower inside of you that gives it a check and say, yep, that that's God. That lines up with what, what God would say. And so this is what he played on to get her to listen to him and disobey God. So that's all he wants is for us to listen to him enough to disobey God. And so he tells her, in the day that you oh, you're not going to die, what's going to happen to you is you're going to have this knowledge just like God has. Well, they were they were both true except the part of not dying. They did die. To die means to be separated from the life force that's keeping you alive. They didn't die physically, but spiritually they did. They were separated from the life force of God. And then the knowledge of evil came upon them. The knowledge of good and evil, which means the knowledge of right and wrong, came upon them. Prior to that, they only knew right. Once wrong is introduced, you got choices to make. And so they make this choice to accept wrong. Drop down into verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because of a knowledge that I have. We're afraid of God because of knowledge that we have. See, before you were saved, you didn't know if God was your friend or if he was going to come and get you. Huh? And so because of a knowledge that you have of good and evil, and you know that you try to do some good sometimes, but you never stick with it. And then you start remembering the wrong stuff that you do, and you wonder if God is going to be your friend or if he's going to be your enemy. So when you're not saved, you just avoid God. That's why your little friends, when you invite them to church, they got something else to do. You know, they, you can even pray for them when they have needs off and on and then they never, and you think to yourself, wonder what it's going to take for them to really start to trust God. Now I prayed for them and they know God is good, that God's healed granny, he's healed everybody in the family, but they still don't want to come around. It's because they have a knowledge of something that they've done. And they don't know how God feels about it. 
See what I'm saying? They need a little more truth. That's why when you preach the gospel, it's always good to start with repentance. Because you look at anybody and know they got sin all over them. I mean, come on, we don't have to be real smart to figure that out. And you just tell them, you know, whatever it is that makes you feel scared of God or feel like you separated or God's not pleased with, he wants to forgive you. And he wants to forgive you right now. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, don't put it off. Just get right to the chase. They, that's the way they used to preach in the old days when the preacher would get outside and preach and people would fall out of the trees. The power of the Holy Ghost would knock them out of trees and stuff if they were watching watching the sermon. So they they preached repentance. That's that's the only message you start with is repentance. Amen. Now we we always have mercy for people, but at some point you got to get around to their personal relationship with God. You know, it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. That's why He'll lead us to pray for people, but He doesn't expect us to let them live distant from he, him just grabbing prayers when they need it they have there is a an inheritance that he has laid up for everybody who comes into this earth amen and he wants us to receive it so anyway he says i hid from you because of something i know about myself huh and so that's something we know about ourselves is the very thing that we feel is going to separate us from god Somehow it can't be reconciled in our mind that we've messed up and we don't please God and we don't know how that's going to be fixed and how that's going to be made right. Now, see, as Christians, we know. Sometimes we don't practice it as faithfully as we should, but we know that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us when with the minute you confess it, how often? As many times as you need to? Over and over and over. You think God's impressed that you haven't done anything wrong in like a couple days? You think he loves you more? Huh? Think about it. That's That trips a lot of people up. They don't want to keep it. You people say, how come I got to be wrong all the time? I said that to myself. How come I, here I am again, God. How come I can't just get this right? Huh? Because he is your get right. You're not going to get that right on your own. <laughs> and he wants you to know it. The sooner you accept that, the happier y'all will be with God. Amen. Me and God will be real happy the sooner I accept that. So they hid themselves from him. So the first thing that comes when you have a knowledge of your sin is shame. Now shame comes because you have a knowledge now of good and evil. Adam and Eve lived very well in the garden with God and and never did anything wrong. They had the same, they had the same no clothes on before they they sinned than they did after but after they became aware so iniquity which is what the enemy puts in us to keep us separated from god iniquity then begins to work in them and works in such a way that they feel responsible for their deeds which is right but they don't know how to get out of the feeling that they have of shame 
And that's where the enemy gets us. Shame begins with a dread and a fear of God. Now before they had a fear of God, but it was a loving, worshipful, respectful fear. There's two different ones. Parents, when you start to discipline your children, you have to be careful not to go overboard. You understand? You don't want your children to dread and fear you. You want them to respectfully fear you because you're older, you're wiser, you're responsible for there's a lot wrapped up in that type of reverence and respect for the one who's caring for you. But you don't want your children to, their little hearts to race when you call them. And you understand what I'm saying? You don't want that. And you know, good parents, when they see that happening, they know how to back off now and start to, to talk to that child and try to get them to understand what's going on, you know? So, so when, when Adam and Eve felt that, that caused them to say, there's no help for me. So shame causes us to say, there's no help for me. You know something's wrong. You know something's not right. You know you've been disobedient. You feel shame about it. You want to hide from God. You want to find your own way to get rid of this iniquity that you got yourself messed up in. So shame kind of makes you feel responsible for it, but not able to remedy it. So when that iniquity comes in, you start to play what we call hot potato. Got to get rid of it as quick as you can. Amen. Every time you try to toss it away, it comes back to you. And then you refuse to own it. Amen. And that's when blame comes in. So then the man and the woman start the shame and the blame. When he says in verse 10, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that? Where'd you get that information from? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And so God knows the problem. Iniquity makes you think God doesn't know. God, see, it so separates us from God. We forget or Adam and Eve forgot they used to walk with God and he knew everything about him and it was cool. Now they they suspect God's in the darkness just like they're in the darkness. And so the things that they feel about themselves now, they begin to project that onto God. So he said, I was naked. He said, "How? who, how, who told you that? See? God knows information where it comes from. He knew they didn't know that before when they were just talking to him. So now God knows another force has come in and introduced that knowledge to them. Knowledge is interesting. It can help you and it can hurt you. When you know knowledge about sin and wrong things, it can hurt your life. And that's what God wants to spare us from. And he says... The man said, uh, did you eat from that tree? And I told you not to eat from it. The man said, the woman that was, <laughs> he never answers God yes or no. God wants a yes or no answer. Huh? So what do we do? You want to repent of your sins? Well, see, I wouldn't have done that if, if it wasn't for, you know, or, 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 uh, you know, we got all kind of standard excuses. 
So you start the blame game. Instead of owning what you did and taking your quote unquote punishment, they try to disown their behavior. He says, that woman that you gave me, that you put here with me, so he's blaming God and he's blaming her. I wouldn't have been tied up with this chick if it wasn't for you. You gave her to me. huh? And he says, he said, I ate it because she gave it to me. And the Lord said, the woman, well, what did you do? She said, that serpent that was in here, that you created, that put in here, he tricked me. Huh? Serpent deceived me. Serpent beguiled me. And I ate it. At any step along the way, both of them could have not obeyed the serpent, but they chose to obey him. When God creates people in his image, we have to be exactly like God all the way down the line. And God has the ability to choose and he must give man the ability to choose. And the first time out the gate, we flunked the test. Huh? We chose the wrong thing. And so God has to now deal with the choice of the wrong thing. It's taken him about 6,000 years, 4,000 to get us to Christ. So you see how long it takes for God to teach us and restore us and move us out of living for the devil into living for him. So don't be shocked that you might have to pray for people for many years for them to be saved. Don't be shocked some of the things that are required when we're talking about making these spiritual changes and changes in people's spiritual life. Because God is very patient because we're worth the wait. And he knows we're worth the wait. So he's patient with us to give us an opportunity to come back to him. Make the choice to come back. We made the choice to leave and now we have to make the choice to come back. And so the Lord then begins to levy death on all of them. Okay? Because he promised if you eat of this you will surely die. So the, 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 the Lord said to the woman, uh, let me see, uh, okay, so verse 14, so the Lord said to the servant because you have done this, You are cursed above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now people know that anybody watches snakes, snakes crawl around and they lick. They cannot see. They have to lick to get feeling, to know if something's warm, if they're around food, they're not around food. They, they, they just, and so they eat dust. They lick dust all of their lives the other thing that if you turn a snake over you'll see some little buttons on four little buttons on their bellies from the feet and legs they used to have there's their vestiges there's evidence of what they used to be amen before they were cursed 
You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life. He said, now put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so from there begins to curse. Pain comes into the lives of these two people and all of their offspring simply because of one time disobedience. People don't realize, but, but in, in, in two, a lot of people are spared. They do wrong things over and over and over again. And God gives them chance after chance after chance. But then there are some people that strike out and the first thing they do, it turns out bad for them. Huh? My husband used to say, he said, I've never been able to get away with nothing. Huh? In my life. That was his, I said, well, good for you. I said, that was God. I said, think about where you'd be if you were able to get away with stuff. You know, thank God you couldn't. Amen. And so the enemy will keep coming back to us with the shame and the blame. Many times, even after you're a believer, shame will come upon you for things that you have done wrong in your past. You sit up with nothing on your mind long enough. And you'll start remembering every unkind word you said to somebody, every, you understand what I'm saying? And so, and what you need to do is just get your mind off of that and get it back on God. Amen. Just keep your, the Bible says he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. And so, the, what, what they are throwing around when, when you blame, and when you keep pushing things off of yourself and back on to somebody else, what are you trying to do there? You're trying to get rid of iniquity. And this is what the enemy put in them that caused them all this problem was iniquity. It's like um, a sticky glue. That causes your soul to not be at peace. Because you keep trying to get, see the worst thing in the world is to try to get that resolved by yourself in your own head. You've got to have somebody to come in there, a third party advocate to come in there on your behalf. Somebody who loves you, that you can trust, who can get you out of this sticky glue. That you keep trying to rub off yourself and the more you touch it and rub it, the more it gets on you, the bigger it gets and the worse it gets. And so you think one way to get rid of it is blaming it on something. Shame in your soul, number one of the reasons this happens is because your soul wants to be peaceful. Nobody's so, now we like a little excitement, but we don't want turmoil. You know how we, you can go from zero to 60 real quick if you don't watch yourself. So everybody likes to have some kind of excitement to look forward to. But if it's the devil's excitement, it can escalate real quickly into turmoil. And it's out of control and it's out of hand. And you can't handle it any longer. And so when it gets like that, we have to have a mechanism in our souls to handle shame, to handle our 
our sin that we do that we know is wrong but we don't know the remedy for it and we try to get rid of it on our own we have something called a conscience and that thing is put there to help you determine right and wrong your conscience is like a judge for your life Now your conscience operates on its own when you're a sinner. But when you love God, it has a witness also in the Holy Spirit who lives in you. So then your Holy Spirit can take over and tell you if your conscience is judging you in the right way, judging you in the wrong way, judging you at all. So the Holy Spirit really has a higher level of expectation and behavior for us because he's holy. But he also has a higher level of mercy toward us because he's holy. So mercy is always holier than what you would be one way or the other in your thinking without God. So never put yourself above God's law for good or for bad. You know, sometimes we can get in one of these moods and we don't do nothing right according to ourselves. Well, what we've done there is we've made ourselves a bigger judge than what God is. See, a lot of times I'll tell people, I said, well, how do you know God's working on that in your life right now? Why are you so adamant about getting rid of, you know, and we even sing songs. Purge anything in me that's not like you. Are you kidding me? You be... You'd be a piece of dust sitting up in the corner somewhere. Come on now. God knows what he's doing. You. I mean, you know, we'll get there. Don't get ahead of yourself, all right? He knows where you live. He knows your husband. He knows your mama. He knows your kids. He knows your boss. So don't go purging yourself all. You know what I'm saying. Remove anything that's not like you. You'd be a blank. You'd be worse than naked. Be a skeleton sitting up there. Come on now. Let's get real here. I mean, I understand the concept a little bit. (laughs) You know, I get a little older, a little wiser. Cut everybody some slack. You know what I'm saying. But then we start with the blaming because we can't get rid of that feeling of shame. God, if we didn't just, how come I can't learn to keep my mouth shut? Can't learn to mind my business. Ah, done it again. Ah. Or, and then we take the other thing. We're perfect now. You woke up one morning, you got tired of blaming. You got tired of being ashamed. So you go to being a victim. Huh? Well, you know, it's because I was abused. I was poor. We didn't have anything when I was growing up, so I had to steal. Huh? Stole my mama's gun and held up the corner store. Can't help myself. It's a victim. Or like the man and the woman did, I was afraid. Uh, People are using that as an excuse for everything now, is fear. 
So because we feel fear, we feel we have a license to do everything without any punishment. And that's not God. That's not God's way. We believe these causes excuse us. So if you can find a reason why you did what you did, you think you're excused from being responsible for it. But see, that's a lie in itself because the shame never goes away. See, you could get away with that if your conscience would let you off the hook. But somehow your conscience can't let you off the hook when you use those methods. Amen. Now, how do we get off the hook? Well, Jesus, our advocate, paid the price for us to be what he calls forgiven. It's a totally different concept than shame and blame. Forgiven, forgiveness comes in as a new idea. It comes in as a higher idea. It comes in as a higher remedy because it is from a higher realm. Forgiveness comes in to put an end to your torment. It comes in to put an end to your desire and your need to blame, excuse, blame, excuse. Put a, put another thought to it or another idea to it. fix it up and make it sound good. Amen. That's what we're doing now with a lot of terminology that you see in the world. Everybody wants to fix words up now so that they sound more pleasant and less black and white. Because when it's black and white, it's hate speech. Or it's, uh, you know, we, they say that to us Christians all the time. It's caused many Christians to back off from the truth of God's word. Because when you get accused and you don't go in for the atonement, you're stuck. The devil's trying to stick us with a label and stick us with an identity that's not us by changing words into like political correctness. Instead of calling it this now, we call it that. And instead of calling it what God calls it, then we call it what the world wants us to call it now. Amen. So now everything is permissible and there's no right and wrong, but yet people still live in shame, fear, and condemnation. So if there's no right and wrong, where's the shame, fear, and condemnation come from? Amen. And so you can't fix things up to make them right before God. God has provided the remedy to make everything right. The Bible says he has reconciled man to himself by his work on the cross. You know what reconcile means? <laughs> Something we should do <laughs> to our bank books we don't do. You know that statement they send you every month? You're supposed to look at that and go through your checks you wrote and make sure all the checks are listed on there and you make sure that that balance they give you is correct. Even the overdraft statements and fees. But to reconcile something means that your checkbook looks just like that bank statement when you're done. You have the same total here as you have over there. 
What does that have to do with sin? Well, sin, if you keep sinning, you run up a debt. That's why you feel shame. See, Adam and Eve knew that immediately in the garden. They knew the debt that they were uh, running up just by living every day. And they desperately needed, instead of blaming, shaming, blaming, shaming, she told me to do it, no I didn't, he told me to do it, instead of that, they need somebody to come and say, hey, stop it. I want to reconcile this debt. I want to take this debt out of your account and pay it off and you start out fresh again. And that's what salvation really is. It's God reconciling us to himself through the death of his son. How does that happen? Well, we've done stuff so bad, we would have to give a life for what we've done. Well, God did that in our place. A life has been given for you to live without the stain of sin on you and without shame and without having to blame and without having to explain and without having to... He erases our past. Not just forgive it. When God talks about forgiveness, there are a couple, there's, there's some, some parts to it that we need to understand. If it's a legitimate debt, you can't just get somebody to put delete, push delete at the bank and get rid of it for you and send you a deed paid in full thing. When God's involved, it's a real debt that takes a real payment because God is a holy God and a righteous God and he ain't playing with us. If this weren't real, God wouldn't be involved. So God set the bar high, what he required as a substitute for us. As low down and mean and and ornery as we were, he provided somebody righteous, holy, without blame. To the depths of the low extreme that we lived, he sent somebody up to the highest height extreme to pay the price. So that Jesus was not dying for his own sin. He was dying for the sins of others. That's what a sacrifice is. So instead of him, there being fault found in him. And we could say he was dying for his own sin. There was no fault found in him ever. So he, he, he fit the bill that God required. As a payment and a sacrifice, nothing but perfection would do for God. Amen. So he said, I don't see anybody here perfect. I'm going to have to send my son to do it because he's the only perfect. So he put him in the form of a man. Jesus left all his, his heavenly credentials behind. And made himself just like us in that we were subject to having to obey the Father to live and to do the things that were necessary to do. And so when God says that our redemption is legitimate, he means that. God set the standards high, high, high so that the highest price would have to be paid for us 
And once that price was paid, we're entitled now to be forgiven. So, so our forgiveness or our reconciliation with God was something that was designed from the foundation of the earth. So he did it with full knowledge of what we would do in the future to warrant him having to put his son to death to save us. So he knows already what you're going to do wrong tomorrow. He know, and he still offers you salvation. He know, all those people, look at all the murderers, look at all the abortionists, all the, all kind of people out there. He knows exactly beforehand what each and every one of us is going to do. And he offers us forgiveness anyhow. So me and you sitting around trying to act like we ain't done nothing and purge me, God, get rid of everything that he, that's gonna happen, sweetie. That's, that's really gonna happen. But you ain't in charge of it. And it's a good thing we're not. Cause a little bit that we go through when it gets too tough, we say, I ain't doing this no more. It just ain't right, God. How come you don't just come down here and take care of this thing for me today? Huh? I ain't going to church. Well, if I go to church, I ain't gonna give nothing. Well, if I give something, I ain't going on time. You know what I'm saying. We got attitude. Because we can't run nothing no more. (laughs) Thank God you can. So our conscience helps us out. Romans, go to Romans 2. The Bible talks about how this happens. You can trust your conscience, but you can't. Think about the things that you thought were okay in life, and then you start reading the Bible, you find out it's wrong. So you know you can't. You can trust your conscience, what if it bears witness in the Holy Spirit? Amen. Uh, Romans 2, I think it's 15. Start in verse 12. It says, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. So if you don't know God, you don't know anything, if you do right and wrong, you're still going to be judged. But if you do know God, you'll be judged by a higher standard, is what it says, according to the law. And it says, for if it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, in other words, as sinners who don't have the Bible, don't know right and wrong, aren't born again, when they do by nature the things that are required by the law, because there's something in all of us that knows right and wrong. They are a law unto themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that requirements of the law are written in their hearts. Their consciences are bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accuse them and sometimes excuse them. You ever been, you felt real bad about something you did or something you said to somebody and you feel so bad and then something comes up and say, well, you know that you wouldn't have done that and so, and you excuse yourself. 
Then you think about it for a while and go back. You accuse yourself. So your conscience without the witness of the Holy Spirit will take you on a roller coaster ride. Some days you feel good about yourself because you didn't do anything wrong for a while. Sometimes you feel totally bad because you did. So your conscience outside of the law, outside of the born again experience with the Holy Ghost will either accuse you or excuse you. Well, they did so and so to me. See, you excuse yourself. Then you, your mind plays back exactly what you said and did and then you feel bad again. Huh? And then you have enough nerve to blame it on somebody else who pointed that out to you. You make me feel. You ever say that? You make me feel. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You was feeling that before I came up here. I just echoed what's already in your crazy brain. You want to pray and get rid of this? See, some people think they're right all the way to the grave. They just ain't going, uh-uh. Like the Hatfields and the McCoys, you know. We've been fighting this thing for 14 generations. And I ain't about to stop now. Uh-huh. So when your mind begins to accuse and excuse you, that's the knowledge of good and evil playing you. Amen. Because it's a player. Second Corinthians one twelve tells us we are to keep a clear conscience. Now that's something worth doing. Get away from this God. Take out anything that's not like you stuff. And, and do your maintenance on your soul. Huh? Do your upkeep. Do your housekeeping. He tells us we must keep a clear conscience by doing what's right. And when we fail, repent. When you fail, confess that to God. And stay before God until you feel cleansed from it. How do you know you're cleansed? You don't need to blame anybody anymore. You don't need to play the blame game. Amen. You can take responsibility for it. Roll it over on Jesus because he paid for it. See, we think if we own something once we're saved, that we got to beat ourselves up and feel condemned. You don't have to do any such thing. You're to confess it right away to God. And the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse. You know what cleanse means? No guilt, no shame, no blame. No need for it. Now that's being purged. Amen. That's taking out everything that's not like him. That's why it's foolish to ask such a thing without going before God and asking forgiveness for what you've done wrong. You know it. Don't be talking about anything that's not. You know what you did wrong. You know we all do. If you don't, you can ask the Holy Spirit and he will gladly show you so you can get it off of you. And you can go live live uh, sin-free, guilt-free, everything free. So we have to keep a clear conscience. Romans 9, 11, since that's close, we'll go there. Verse 10, not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time, am I at the right place? I hope this is the right place. Nope. Ah, I wrote that down wrong. 
9-1. Thank you. Like I said, I didn't say 11. I said 1. I know my Bible. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience cons- confirms it through the Holy Spirit. So you know how before before God you had to convince people that you were telling the truth and they doubted you? Paul said, I lie not. Why? Because my conscience now bears witness in the Holy Ghost. See, you don't have to take it outside of yourself to prove to people that you're telling the truth. You know you're telling the truth because your conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. That's how you know truth. You know it because you're not making it up. You know it because it's coming from the depths of the spirit and God has given you what it is that you're saying. In other words, when you stop trying to be the, the God on the throne and convince people you're right and you drop that, then God will come in with a word so that your conscience can bear witness that you're telling the truth. Many times, you know, I know some of you sometimes will pray for people and a word of knowledge or something will come to you in the midst of your prayer as you're searching out what to say to people, so forth and so on. And have you ever had the experience later on the devil bugs you and you wonder if that was God? Amen. And you'll go on for a while and that it drops. Like it, it don't bug you every day, 24-7. It lets go of it. Your conscience just cut it off bearing witness in the Holy Ghost and cut that thought off of doubting if that was God or not. You got me? So your conscience, once you have the Holy Spirit, your conscience does a pretty good job of keeping your soul free from worry, fear, and doubt. Many times people will get that doubt and it keeps nagging them. Because it's probably not, that word did not come from God. They tried to make something up. Many times the devil will stop bugging people about the lies that they tell in prayer. To get them deceived so they can start doing false ministry. And false things. But if you're, if you're in, in this to serve God. And that thing starts to bug you or nag you. You can say, God, just let me know what the truth is. Was that you or not? And that thing will get cut off. And it's smooth sailing. And then the next time you go to pray for somebody, you're confident to pray for them. Because that thing, you had it checked. And it checked out okay. And you just go on in God. Be careful of people who refuse to check themselves. That'll argue, I know that's God, cause honey, God told me to tell you. You understand what I'm saying? Be leery of that kind of stuff, because you don't have to do that. If you ever have any doubt as to what you, something you gave somebody or something you told them was appropriate, you can put that before God, and once that conscience gets settled, it's cut off from bugging you anymore. If your conscience continues to bug you, it's because it hasn't been settled. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you have to say, God will, will please forgive me if I, if I spoke out of, I didn't speak the right way or something. But you're not up all night worrying about it once you give it back to God. Amen? We wouldn't be able to do anything for God if He let that kind of stuff go on. So your conscience bears witness 
with the Holy Spirit. So the conscience really is the seat of the law in a human being. It judges right and wrong. The soul attempts to clear the conscience so it doesn't nag us. So we seek peace in this way, but it is a soulish peace and it will not last. The only peace that will last for you when your conscience bugs you has to be the application of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ to your conscience, to purge it. Amen. The Bible talks about your conscience. At one point, people who are are steeped in sin, it says their consciences are seared with a hot iron. They don't even feel anything anymore. They don't even experience any remorse anymore. You don't ever want to be like that. But you want your conscience to bear witness with the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit checks your thoughts for you. And lets you know, nope, this one's taken care of. Amen. So you are free to live without condemnation, without shame, without guilt, without anything like that. You can trust the Holy Spirit to keep your mind at perfect peace, to keep you in line of doing the right thing at the right, to make you do the appropriate thing at the right time. Amen. Uh, You know, there are people that that maybe you don't like in the natural. Maybe they just cut up. But you ever notice sometimes, I mean, and, and we all experience this, like when we go out witnessing with one another, everybody's like so. They're so holy and saying the right things and the power of God's there. And You understand what I'm saying? There's, there's a, a, Avenue, an avenue that, that we walk on when we put ourselves aside. What we see in each other from day to day is a little spirit, a little self, a little mixture, yada, 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 yada. We see each other's habitual goofy things that we do. You know, they're not big things. We make them big, you know, by, by the way we look at them. Look at the mirrors, you know. <laughs> you want the next big thing that's wrong? Look at yourself. You know what I'm saying? But because uh, you'll turn on yourself too. You, know, you turn on people. You turn on yourself. It's just sick. But uh, but there's a place where people can step into, right? Called righteousness. And when you put that on, you will shock yourself how appropriate you are. Where did I get that from? And, oh my goodness, you know, they're up walking and you know, all that kind of stuff. And so your conscience has to help you reconcile that with what you feel about yourself every day. And you have to come up with the right reconciliation. You know what I mean? With like add them all up and what do you get? That kind of thinking. And what you have to have to get is that, God, I serve you when I step out of myself. I'm capable of serving you, but in myself dwells no good thing. Amen. Help me to stay close to you because I know that's where I belong. And, and don't be afraid to get closer to God 
Because I believe that's why he allows us to have these experiences even when we just are cut up in, you know, everywhere else in life. You see some people who can get, get in a, a group of people that don't know God and they're very, very eloquent. But when they're around the saints, they're nervous, they gossip, they're crazy, they, you know, you understand what I'm saying. And so I think God has to have a way of merging and reconciling our knowledge about who we are outside of the spirit, who we are inside of the spirit. And so the conscience then is very, very important. It's very important to keep a clear conscience about who you are, what your capability. You can't get too far over one way and two. You get too much of the big head and you're in trouble. You start believing all the negative things you think about yourself and you're in more trouble. Amen. God can always stop a runaway freight train, but it's hard to beat a dead horse. You got me? And so God knows how to harness and reconcile us to who we are inside and outside of the realm of the spirit. The soul attempts to clear the conscience so it doesn't nag us. We seek peace in this way, but it's a soulish peace and it doesn't last. The only thing we can do is go to our advocate and get the atoning blood that forgives us. You know, if forgiveness is not enough for you, you get that part of the Bible and keep that open until you can accept that. Because there are a lot of people who are trying to live above out of their own ability. They never want to own any faults. They never want to own any misgivings. They never need want to own that God is still working on them. They, it's just hard for them to own. And if that's where you are, you stay in the word of God until God shows you what normal Christian life is all about. And it's living dependent on God to show us the way. If I could live without the devil trying to hinder everything I do, I, you know, I'd be cool too. Perfect too, we all would be. And not that we just blame the devil, but you gotta factor him in. And once you factor him in, you know you need a savior that you can depend on to clear junk out of your life to when you do step into there where that snare the devil put your foot there here it is again it made me mess you know you got to have somebody you know is in your corner that will forgive you wipe the slate clean and doesn't treat you like a secondhand kid just because you mess up a lot Sometimes I was talking to the Lord one time and, and I was looking at somebody that, that I knew that had a, a very powerful dynamic ministry. This is when I didn't know much better because I've since come to know tons of them. And I've come to know that it's a common affliction. You understand? It's less common to see people who sail through their ministry life perfect than to see people who make mistake and I said to myself I said God you gave that person so much knowledge and so much power and yet they squandered it by going off into sin 
And I said, why would you give them all that if you knew they were going to mess up? And he said, because I'm holy. See, we're people. So we've got iniquity in us. And we always, we're, we're always wanting to economize, not waste, not be taken advantage of. <clears throat> but a holy God doesn't even think like that. The thought never occurs to, to God to not give you his best because he can look down the road and see you're going to screw up and embarrass him, embarrass your family, embarrass the church, embarrass. He don't give you let, less because he knows you're going to screw up. See, holiness doesn't do that. You look at sometimes God will give revelation to people. And they treat it like it's not. You understand. I mean, we all have different reactions to God and stuff like that. Or in your estimation, they treat it like. And you think to yourself, man. That person knows that. And and then, the, you know, they got a video of them clubbing somewhere. Huh? But yet God gives them his best, knowing where they are. You got to be holy to be able to do that. You got to be holy not to hold up something from somebody because you know they're going to squander it. See? Even the prodigal's father. He said, give me what belongs to him. He was honest and gave him all that was coming to him. He could look at that boy and knew he was a cut up from day one. Amen. He wasn't going to do nothing with it. He knew it. the father pretty much knew exactly what was going to happen because he knew his son. He knew he wasn't but yay smart. And went out and hookers and fly boys and all kind of folk took his money from him, treated him like dirt. Huh? And the father let him take it anyway. Huh? Why? Father had a lot of money, only had one son. See, God has us. We're the, we're all he's got. And if he's not going to give us his best over and over and over again, then he's never going to win. He's never going to win the world of Christ. He's never going to win. If he don't give me his best word of knowledge so I can pray for somebody and he can help them, then we're all shot. If he don't give you his best, Sheree, we're all doomed. Amen. God only has best to give all of his kids. He don't give you less because you messed up 15 times and the church condemned you. You get yourself aligned right with him. The the best comes to you over and over and over again. Nothing but his best. He likes to see us give our best to one another. Uh-huh.
God wants so much for us to know he loves us unconditionally. Amen. Now, the promises are conditioned upon us keeping our end of the covenant, but our end of the covenant is always begins in righteousness. That don't cost you nothing. It's not even your righteousness. So what that means is you don't have to do this right, that right, that right, that right, that right, and that right. Not that we're purposely trying to do wrong. I believe most people, when they know God, want to do right. But we don't have the ability to do it without him. So the more we can trust him, the more that pleases him, that's your only right thing that you do. Is trust him and get you off the hook for having to do everything right. Let him do the heavy lifting. It's been done already anyway. When people, you know, people screw us up all the time. You know, I'm looking OCD, right? It's like lining up all the chairs. <laughs> I said, let me stop this. I said, some people watching me might think I ain't all here this Sunday. Lord. Well, usually it's people in them. The people that jumped ship and went to the back. So I said, well, but, uh, (laughs) and good they did because I'm lining my chips. But, uh, what was I saying? (laughs) I forgot what I said. (laughs) Snap out of ourselves. What was I saying? I really have lost track of what I was saying. Yeah. We got to do that. Thank you, Patty from the block. Thank you. <laughs> Turn to Luke chapter 15. That's where the prodigal is. How much time we got? That's what I meant to. Oh, it's going to have to be a quick nine. So Luke 15, that's where the two sons, the parable of the two sons are, is. 15, starting in verse 11, but but you know the story. The boy took all his stuff. Didn't take long before he was broke, busted, disgusted. The Bible says something interesting. It says when he got in poverty, he came to himself. And I think that's true about everybody who lives on this earth. We were created in abundance and wealth. And sin caused us poverty. Amen. When you get born again is when you come to yourself. And you realize who you really are. And you have an inheritance in God. See. This boy was was in lack, in want. He, he didn't have anything to eat. He was giving the pigs what they, pigs eat anything. You know what I'm saying? So he, it says, it, it, verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach 
with the pods that the pigs were eating, but they wouldn't even let him eat the pig's food. In other words, they, they considered, they valued the pig more than they valued him. See, when you get, you know, down with your friends and, and they start treating you like they really feel about you, you'll start coming to yourself. Huh? As the first, first thing you do. You think they're all for you and you think they're crazy about you and love you, but just wait until you can't do anything for them. When they have to do something for you. That's when you come into a realization. And he says, it says, he came to himself. When, verse 17, when he came to his senses, what the NIV said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm here starving to death. He says, I will arise and go to my father and say to him. Now, when he was at home, he didn't see himself as living in a high place. It's amazing how familiarity with what you have can make you make a bad decision or a bad judgment about it. He was at home with abundance in all kinds of things, but he felt like he wasn't where he needed to be until he got where he couldn't have that. And so when he found himself out there, he said to myself, he, he came to himself and he started to identify as a son of a wealthy man in the right way. When he was at home, he knew he was a son of a wealthy man, but he coveted what his dad had. Now he values it. Sometimes your children have the wrong value, the wrong eye, wrong. You know, some kids get something in their mind. They think they got to have designer everything in they but five and six years. Louie, who? You can't even spell it. You can't spell your own name. Go somewhere and get some crayons and <laughs> you can make a paycheck. Louis V costs big money. <laughs> I'm here to tell you. I'm still working on it. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Whee! <laughs> so, <laughs> but he started to value things in the right way that vision of who he was really as his father's son started to come to him and it humbled him. And he said this to himself. He says, I'm going to get up from here. In other words, he knew he was in a low place lower than what lower than his station in life. There's nothing wrong with wanting nice things, folks. Nothing whatsoever. But you got to have an eye for paying for Let's not get stupid here. People in the mafia want nice stuff too. Huh? Oh, you boom. We're not like that. And so, so he starts to come to himself who his dad has groomed him to be, who his dad has taught him to be, that self. And so he says, I will arise and go to my father 
and confess. Hmm? He didn't say, I'm going to go back and start eating and living up. That would have been the old him. But he said, I'm going to arise and go to my father and reconcile. I'm going to make peace with my dad first and foremost. Because he knows what's important now. Trust and peace have been broken because of his sinful behavior. And when we own that, we don't have to feel guilt and unworthy. huh? Because that's what he felt. He said, I have sinned and I'm not worthy. That's where he's going to go tell his father. But he got to his father and his father wouldn't even let him hardly say anything. Father started the party before he even got up there to the house. Amen. See, in your heart, you have to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. Huh? And he told his dad, he says, I've sinned and, and, and I'm wrong and I don't even deserve to be here. And the father said, listen, I've been waiting for you to come alive to who you really are. Amen. The fact that we expect God to bless us, that's who we really are. Amen. The fact that we expect to be a blessing, that's who we really are. We're not rip-off people that want the best. Oh, I just got to have the best because I just always liked it, them Rolls Royces. Well, you better get to polishing some. Working at the car wash, yeah. You can do all the Rolls Royces you want to do. You ain't got no Rolls Rolls Royce money, income. Huh? You could have all the pretty cars you want. Huh? But God puts stuff in us to let us know that we're valuable, highly valuable. That's why he gives you his anointing. The anointing goes to the highly valuable. It doesn't go to the nobodies and the nothings. Why? Because Jesus is the one who makes you highly valuable. Once he imparts his righteousness to you, that righteousness talks for you throughout the earth. When you pray, righteousness prays through you. When you expect God to give you favor at the, where you go buy whatever you buy, that's righteousness talking for you. Righteousness has a bold voice. It has a confident voice. It has a voice that knows somebody bigger than them is backing them up. And you can have what you say. Huh? You can have the good that you say. You can have the healing that you say. You can have the deliverance that you say. You can have the prosperity that you say. Why? Because that's righteousness speaking through you. Giving you the words to say. Giving you the confidence to expect it. If God says it's coming, you can expect it. Amen? I was thinking about I was asking God for a car and it came so fast and then I thought to myself I said well God maybe at my age I can't be slowing around <laughs> still can drive you know before somebody pushed me I'll say look old lady get out of here we'll drive this car you know what I'm saying but but you know you got to look at it but that's the Amos 913 blessing you don't listen to this Sunday after Sunday and meeting after meeting and it might have an effect on you so God wants us to be dazzled. Huh? 
The only man that will promise you something and come through for you is God. Amen. We done? We done? All right. Bye-bye. All right. We're done. Father, thank you for your word and for understanding and for blessing us, helping us, Lord. You are our help. Thank you, Lord, for Palm Sunday. It's always good to exalt the atonement, the Jesus, that he is the righteous one. He is triumphant over all darkness. We thank you that he's given us that ability as well. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Anybody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray here for you. Prayer.